So I started studying French from eighth grade and I was really focused on languages, but I was also really interested in business. Timothy, thank you for taking the time to be here. It's thank you for the time as well, Lance. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, finally sit down and get to know that's you. That's right. That's right. We've 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 known each other through social media for several decades now, and this is my first time to get to meet you. That's right. I'm really pleased to have you on. And, and that was right behind Frank. Frank Foley was on just before you, with his new hot book. Another, another. <laughs> and you had never met him. Isn't that amazing? We were just talking about that. And he asked me, he said, Lance, can I stay here? So he got to meet you just before he, before you came on because he wanted to stay until you came here. That's great. It's really good. It's, uh, it, it's funny how the, um, and I think it's mostly us, the expats in Tokyo. It's a really small town. Isn't it? It really is. But I find that ends up being the same thing when we start to travel. We always run into someone we've known from being here. Oh, that, that could very well be. Don't you think? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh. Um, you know, Mike King? Name sounds Mike, familiar. Mike King. Michael King. Yes, he uh, he's from Houston. Okay. And I I ran into him in the Houston duty free shop in the airport <laughs> of all places. But you so, met him here. Yes. Okay. And he just walks up and so, says, hey, what, are you doing, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> I was on a business trip. Though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Timothy, where were you born? So I was born in the uh, raised in uh, Minneapolis, mm -hmm. a suburb just outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And you told me already, since we've done this once already, I won't tell you why, but <laughs> you have a sister. She's three years younger than you. That's correct. Yes. You guys were not so close to the beginning. I mean, you were close probably at the beginning, then you lost that closeness after you got a little bit older. Then you reconciled. You came back together. Father and mom, same father and mother. Yep, yep, yep. Until your father passed away, unfortunately. That's correct. When you were about 19. That's right. And then your family became really tight. Yeah, my, I think it was, you know, it was, it was teenage-isms between the two of us. And yes. I was a couple years older, and the school was smaller, and I, I was trying to, you know, have an image at school. And a uh, oh, younger sister, ooh. And uh, then she started dating guys. And, and that, that was, made it and worse. That made it worse. Um, so luckily for her, I uh, went off to college. <laughs> but uh, yes, my, my father passed away when I was 19. And mm. that just kind of pulled the three of us together to, mm. to this sort of, this very dynamic trio. Uh, we mm. were, uh, we called ourselves the, uh, the, uh, the amigos, the three amigos. Oh, that's good. And, uh, we were funny. That We're still really funny when we get together. And your mom's doing well? She's doing well as well. How old is your mom now? Uh, good question. I don't. I guess she won't mind. I think she's. No, you don't have she's to. Mid eighties. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Um, Give or take a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to count the count the, the exact years, but yes. Okay. But we're still um, when uh, the three of us get together. My brother-in-law, my uh, stepfather. Okay. The cousins, they just like step back. They're like, we cannot follow what's going on with the three of you. You, you guys are crazy. <laughs> you guys are tight. Are they still in Minneapolis? Yeah, they're still in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were telling me as a child, you weren't really physical at all. You weren't so sports-minded. You were really more academic-minded. Yes, I was. You loved, I was, you were a bookworm? I was tall and gangly and a bookworm. Wait, from when did you really start? You were always the tallest? Yes. From what grade? From what grade? Uh, probably like fourth grade. 
And you, it, it was Mark, it was noticeably taller. Yes, I was always in the back of the school shots. Go to the back, Timo. <laughs> really? Yes. It was, yes, it was, it was really fast growth. Um, okay. From fourth grade up till about ninth grade. Do you know if it's your mother or father's side? That's my father's side. Your father's side. So he was a tall man. Yes, too. yes. Is your sister tall? Did she get any of that? She, she didn't, and um, it's, we have a, it's, it's unique if you see pictures. I am, I look exactly like my father, like 98%. Mm -hmm. And my sister looks exactly like my mother. It's the most extraordinary thing. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So you know you come from the same parents. We know, we do. You just, you were very preferential in who you picked to look like. That's right. <laughs> so I want to look like my dad. I want to look like my mom. Oh, wow. That's nice. So, so what kind of books or what did you really like to study or pay attention to when you were young? And when did it start? Uh, it started probably around the same time when I started being able to read well, like fifth, fifth grade. Okay. And... At the t I would read the um, the family mystery uh, solving family kind of series. Like you have the Hardy Boys, of course, the two boys, but then there were the Happy Hollisters, I think it was. So these families that would go out and solve mysteries, um, and I would go to the library, rent rent three, read them in a week, take them back at the end of the week, and uh, go then get three more. And so over the summer, I would read an entire book series. What about your sister? Was she academic like that too? Yeah. So my sister was, of course, my sister was active and she's the one, she got all the artistic genes. Okay. Um, so she was painting and, and doing things like that. She was making things. She was never a book person. I was the book person. Right. But that's not the only thing. What, what other things did you like outside? Did you do any type of sports? You had to for school anyway. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so you know the regular, regular round of sports right. that you do as a kid. Um, T-ball, yeah. baseball, um, a little bit of basketball. We we had a lot of um, unique Minnesota winter sports, um, such as. Well, first of all, we have broom ball. Broom ball, which is a, a ball, okay, a hard ball like a uh, um, that you chase around with cut off brooms okay. on ice, okay, <laughs> in boots on ice, and you knock this ball in you. Basically, it's similar to ice hockey, but right, okay. with, with a ball and, and brooms instead of right. sticks. You know, we, we brought that to the street, and so we would play, we'd play broom ball in the street. In the street, okay. Yes, yeah, because it's Minnesota, it's frozen. Yeah. So what were the subjects you liked the most while you were in school as you started to read more and everything else? What subjects did you gravitate towards? Uh, everything, um, with the exception of science. What was it about science you didn't like? <clears throat> I don't know. To this day, I... Chemistry just eludes me to this day. I just cannot get my head around chemistry. Okay. Everything else was okay. Really? Yes. Was math, there I love math. math. You like math? math. Okay. All of the uh, social sciences. Okay. Um, yes, I was, I was in advanced math, actually, uh, in uh, elementary and junior high school. All right. All right. So even when it went into algebra and then you got into you know, geometry and then trig, not trig and everything, you stayed in it? In calculus. In calculus. Yes, calculus in high school. Okay. Right. So when you got when you're in high school, what did you decide that you wanted to major in or that you were really focusing on? I was really focused during junior high school on languages. So I started studying French from eighth grade. And I was really focused on languages. Okay. But I was also really interested in business. And so I went off to college 
planning to do both. And so I followed a French major and a finance major at the same time. In college? Yes, in college. So what did you graduate with? Majors in both. Oh, did you? Yes, I graduated with a double major in both. So what are you doing in Japan? <laughs> you speak there French. you go. I mean, yeah, I want to. So my, my fourth year of university, <laughs> I spent in France. Okay. Studying French and finishing off my degree and getting fluent, coming back, you know, extremely fluent. Reading, French, writing, everything. Everything. Um, you know, movies without subtitles, the whole thing. Right. Loving it. And uh, I wanted to go back. I thought, I want to, I'm going to live in Europe. I want to be a European. But it was, uh, it was very difficult to get a visa. What years are we talking about now? In the 80s. Okay, in the 80s, okay. Early or late, middle? Uh, early. Early 80s, early okay. So it was, they were kind of getting tight on visas at the time. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? I'll try another language. So walking to school, this is my fifth year, walking to school. In France? No, no, in, back in the U.S. Back, back in the States, okay. Back in the States. Okay. I said, I've got to go back. I've got to finish my finance degree. <clears throat> and uh, I had met some. Japanese exchange students over the summer, and they were they were funny, crazy. I don't call I shouldn't call them kids, but we were we were all kids. And uh, I was walking to walking to school uh, to register for classes, and I said on a lark, you know, I don't really want to do Spanish. I'm not interested in German. If they teach Japanese, I'll take that. <clears throat> Guess what they were teaching that year? Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> so I took Japanese, and my teacher, uh, the. Uh, very, very tiny, vivacious Eiko Fisher, half, after the first year, said, Timothy, you need to apply to this program and go to Japan. You're perfect for it. And it was the JET program. And so she pushed me to apply for the JET program. Uh, and uh, one of the questions on the JET program was, what would be the most challenging thing for you in a, in a foreign country? And I said, Probably being the only English speaker in, within, in the area would be the most challenging thing. So guess where they put me? They put me in Morioka in Iwate Prefecture. <laughs> one of, to make sure you're the only yes, person. <laughs> one of six English speakers in the entire prefecture. Sheesh. <laughs> yes. So uh, be careful what you ask for kind of thing. And that's exactly what you got. Did and you know any of the other foreigners? No. No. In JIT program, you go alone or do you have, are you paired up with someone? Uh, at the time, I went alone. Okay. Um, I think now they're they pair up or something. There, there's several in a, in a, in an area. Okay. Uh, but where where I was in Tohoku, it was one. So I was there. Um, I visited uh, regularly. I would visit schools way out in the country to teach English. Or just well, really, to, just to give them the experience of meeting an English speaker. Um, there wasn't a lot of teaching going on in junior and senior high schools, but. Um, we're talking about schools where four teachers teach eight subjects. Right. So the, uh, the, the English class was taught by the math teacher, uh, for example, because there are no people. Uh, right. But they're tiny, tiny schools, and it was very an amazing cultural experience. Obviously, my Japanese got good very quickly. Right. Had to. At least you could speak the bin from down there. Yeah. From up there, I mean. Up there, up there. <laughs> up there, yeah. So I, was, I had the, uh, the fortunate to the good fortune to visit all of the cities along the coast that got hit by the earthquake in 311. Yeah. Mm. Prior to them being hit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you know anyone that, did you had friends up there then when that happened? I don't. You didn't have people. I don't know anyone personally. Personally, no. okay. No. Right. 
But you saw, you knew the areas and you thought about that, I'm sure. Yeah, I knew exactly what was going on. You saw tsunami and everything. That's right. Wow. Have you been up there since? since the Not since the earthquake. earthquake. No. Yeah, not ever. Well, I've been through it on my motorcycle, but I haven't gone to look at it. I'm not very good at disasters. I try to keep... Anyway. Yes. That's a whole other thing. So you come here. So you're good with... First of all, you're saying that you're good with languages. You speak more than three languages? Just the three. Just yeah. the three. And you read and... Okay, so you, what about... Did you get Japanese as fluent to be able to read and write as well? Uh, I am now. I am now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of self-study. Um, okay. I don't even know if... I'm not sure when the Japanese proficiency test was actually rigorously implemented and started, mm -hmm. um, but I never thought to take it. My, my Japanese is pretty good already, so I've never taken it. But you know that you're good enough to, be um, able to do all that. Well, I've, yes, I've been able to work and make a living, so I guess I'm doing okay. Okay. All right, so you came to Japan. You did the JET program. How long were you part of that? Was that two years? Two years. Yes. Two years. Then what did you do after you finished? The, well, you started planning to do something before you got out. That's right. What was it you planned to do? So while I was there, I had I found out about a French design school that had just opened in uh, Tokyo. It's called Esmond, Esmond de Japon. Oh. And uh, of course, I still had France on my mind, uh, lingering on my mind. And so I came down to Tokyo, as they say. And I went and I applied, and they let me. They let me in to this. French design school. Now were you you're in your twenties? Yes, yes. Okay. So we were they were teaching in Japanese and French. French first and then Japanese. Okay. And so I was learning I would understand the French, then I would learn the Japanese for all of these apparel design related terms. And then I'd have to go home and figure out what the English was okay. <laughs> later on. Right. Oh uh, but that would be interesting. It was it was a wonderful two years. I would uh, Go to the design school in the morning, go home, change, put on a tie, and then work in the e evenings at an English school. When did you have your first dreams in French? How old do you think you were? Ah, uh, when I was living in France. You started dreaming in French. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. Did you go hallelujah when it first happened? You came <laughs> say, oh, my, I had dreams in French. I was speaking in French. My dream. Uh, not quite. Not not quite that much. Okay, but yes, I yeah. I remember waking up. This is three quarters of the way through, thinking, "Wow, I just had a dream in French." Um, it was kind of like going to a movie in French, coming out of the movie thinking, oh, "I understood everything <laughs> without the subtitles." Wow. It, um, and the correlative thing is when I bring it to Japan was when I think back about arriving at Narita, getting on the bus and driving in, it was evening time, and we had to go through an area near Ginza, because I think we were on our way to, uh, we're on our way somewhere over near um, Takebashi. Okay. And I remember going down the street and looking out at all of these signs up and down, and they were hieroglyphics to me. I said, Might as well be, yeah. I thought, oh my God, will I ever be able to read this and understand it? And now I walk down Ginza and I read it all. Right, right, right. I think this is weird. <laughs> Some days. Do you dream basically in English, right? Most of the time? I dream in all three. French okay. pops in every now and again. I do dream in Japanese. Sometimes. Are you doing business in French now? In French, no. Okay. No, no. I have, I have friends, but, you know, basically all of our, when French friends and I get together, we're in an international group, and so English is the uh, 
the lingua franca, so to speak. Is it really because they have a real strong French group here? They do. And, but they speak in French. Yes, unless one of Some my types is there. Right, right. So, I work now with a, a, a small, really talented design team. Um, the core three members, two of them, their mother is, their father is Japanese, their mother is Moroccan. So Just they speak French. French. Right. And the other one, his father is French and his mother is Japanese. So he speaks French. So they speak French together. And then when we get together, I'll catch them speaking French and I'll throw French words in and I'll start laughing and I'll say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I only know a few words, but with the French kids I'm dealing with, they always correct me. I don't have the good old son and some of them or whatever. And they say, no, it's not correct, Mr. Lee. Okay. So I came to Tohoku. I went to the design school. Right. And right. I worked in the evening uh, at a school. And so little by little while I was doing that, I started getting things together to sort of go independent. Um, oh, you'd planned already to go independent? Yes. Yeah, so I left the, the day-to-day -day of the school. And I got a sort of consultant advisor role with the company that ran the schools. So you were learning to design clothing. Clothing. Uh, it was, there was clothing. You designed clothing, uh, textile design, uh, a lot of things like that. So for two years I was there. Okay, so what was your favorite? What did you like to design most? What was your favorite in the design school? Did you have anything that you... Well, you know, when I, after two years I came out and I was most happy that I could say I learned to draw. You know, growing up, my sister could draw. Just she could sit down, she would draw a picture of our cat looking exactly like my cat, and I would do like stick people. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I and came, it still didn't look like a cat when I designed, right? <laughs> so I came out of design school saying I know how to draw now, um, and I'm still not good at painting, uh, which was okay. But uh, so I started a, uh, a kind of bespoke design business, apparel design business, okay. um, for both Japanese and, and French men and women. Okay. For and both sexes, okay. Yeah, I would design and make whatever they needed. Um, so for men, it was mostly suits, Okay, that's what they needed. Uh, women, it was a, a wide variety of things. Okay, um, now tell me this. So you would, you would design it with all of the measurements and everything, or just they get a visual image of what they want to have? Because it's bespoke, so we would sit down and talk about what they were looking for. Okay. Um, sometimes I had fabric to show right, them. Right to sometimes show. they didn't. Um, sometimes they had an idea of what they wanted. Sometimes okay. they didn't. Um, and then I would go back and I would do some drawings, show them the drawings. Uh, we'd take measurements, relevant measurements, uh, and uh, then I would then I would go into production. Right. So, of course, I would think if it's different materials and stuff, then you can only do certain things with that material. Some materials move different than other materials. That's, that's correct. Exactly, yes. right? That's correct. So then you have to make your drawings in proportion to that. That's correct. Right. Um, and we, I used, I had access to a, quite a variety of different unique fabrics. So we did some Thai silk things, a lot of cashmere stuff, a whole variety of things. Why do you have access to this? You're, this is when you're on your own now. Yes. And you have a bespoke business. Yes. Right? Meaning that it's tailor-made just for the person, right? So what made, <laughs> what made you decide to do this after you went from the design school that you're going to do your own? What made you decide to do that? I wanted to, 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 I wanted to go out on my own to be a, see if I could build a design brand. In Japan? Own. In Japan. 
It wouldn't have been easier to do that in the States, maybe, or even France? Maybe. Um, but I was here. I had the, the education here. I had the, the network of people from design school. I knew okay. people here. Um, I had the advisory job that would allow me to, you know, work two, three hours a day. And, uh, well, anyway, so you still yeah, had income. Sort of like income insurance just, anyway. Right, right, okay. And I was working from home, so uh, it, it, it was just natural to continue here. So how long did you have that? How long did you do this? Well, if you include, I went from apparel to interior design and importing designer goods. Um, With the, through the same, your same company? Through the, the same, yes. I changed the name partway through, but yes. Right. But it was same, always your company. That right? was the same business, yeah. Right. So you started with Designing events, of, yeah. Designing, wait, wait, tell me. Take me through the facets of what your company did. At the beginning, first it was just clothing. Clothing, yes. Okay, so you did that for a while. We did clothing for a while. Then I, then I started doing uh, photo shoots of these people in their clothing. Right, after you yes. designed it and they had it made, right? Which sometimes included doing things like fixing their hair, doing their makeup okay, a little okay. bit. Um, and then I started taking photos. So I would take the photos of my customers in the clothes that I made for them. And charge them for that. Actually, I didn't. <laughs> but, then, wait, wait. but I'm asking what you did as a business. I sold the clothes. Okay, so that was what you were doing. You were selling the clothes. Okay, so you ended up doing hair, makeup, and you basically took pictures of them. And you didn't sell those at all, but you no, gave them a copy of that. Okay. I got, I, I gave them copies. I got the right. I used them in my portfolio. Okay, all right. So then after that, would, how did it morph into what? It morphed first into uh, events where I would invite all of my customers to interesting events. Such as? Uh, there would just be a, a, like a, a dance club event okay. where uh, we would have decorations and, and various artists in, in my network group would right. perhaps perform or okay. do something and bring people together where they could wear their, the clothes that I made for them together and meet each other. It's kind of a networking thing. All right. Okay. So then from there... And then from there, uh, I started working with uh, some people on interior design. Okay, now how'd that come about? I was a, a variety of things. I was working with, when I say designers, I mean painters. Okay. Who were painting interiors. And that's how I got connected with interior designers. Okay. And it was, um, this is uh, 1988. Through 1991, it was the peak of the bubble. I was going to say, there's a lot of money. There People was, would do anything. You just name it. They say, "I'll do. It. I'll try it." And they had money to throw at it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was. It was. It was a crazy time. It was. Um, <laughs> I, I have a friend who would write uh, event plans. He would just write the plan, and he'd okay. sell it for ten million. Yeah, I know. I know you yeah. <laughs> in, in, Those in, were the times. You're yeah. not kidding. People. This. They, they had all the naughty king. That's right. People have got. Money, they never knew what to do, and it was obvious. They had yeah. no clue. They'd buy matching, unmatching clothes. The most expensive thing they could spend money on didn't look like, it looked like little clowns walking down the street. They had no clue. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty easy to do that at the time. <laughs> it was, uh, and then uh, the, fir the first bubble broke, of course. Right, of um, course. And I, kind of, I got involved with a, a number of other artists and designers, and we formed a six-person collective. And we were importing designer and artist-made products and goods into Japan. From where? Largely from the UK. Okay. Um, it was a cool Britannia time. And so a lot of stuff from the UK, fabric designs, uh, and you guys ceramics. Agreed, you guys agreed to share this equally as it came in? Yes. So we would okay. import them and market them and okay. sell them. Um, 
as it turned out in our collective. Um, we, there were two photographers, there, was a, there were two graphic designers, one other person and me. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, I was the only marketing and promotion person. And so all the hard work fell on you. I, they kind of expected me to do all to do the heavy lifting. Um, For the same percentage? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can see trouble starting already. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. I did for a while, but after a while it was it was just it was too difficult. Okay. Um, so we split up after a couple of years. We split up the, the collective, um, but it was a great experience. And uh, I was also parallel to that. I was working with an interior design company, um, and they were very much interior design and, and construction. Actually, so a pre Japanese company. Japanese company. Okay. I should say construction first, and then design. And um, it, it, these, they happened in parallel, these two things. And I was introduced for a project that they were trying to get, which was with the Disney store. Which one? So oh, you mean just because they have a couple of them? Well, this was the first one. In Shibuya? Uh, the first one was actually in Hommoku in Yokohama. <laughs> oh, when they thought the train was going to come all the way to it? They, uh, they were building the train, you know, they maybe, have a yes. subway. And it was supposed to go all the way out to Homoku, but it stopped short yes, yes. <laughs> right, right in Motomachi. And so we were dealing with the Disney company, but the Disney store group. Right, 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 right. right. And um, the client was J.R. Tokai, and they owned a building uh, in this area right next to the shopping center in Homoku, right. the California-style right. shopping yes. center. Yeah, I know. So, and they would do anything to get the Disney store in there. And so, uh, I don't know three, four, maybe five frantic flights to L.A. to meet, to talk with them. But we got the deal, and we, I coordinated while the company built the first Disney store in Homoku. Okay, I kind of remember that, too. And uh, we finished that one, and then they wanted the VP of design of uh, Disney stores. Said now it's time to do the flagship, and we did the one in Shibuya. Shibuya, it looks yes. like a spaceship kind of. That's right. So right. that it's building was being constructed while we were inside mm -hmm. building, building it out. Yes. Right. Very famous um, architect. That guy. I'm, I'm, I always imagine that that's probably really a real spaceship, and one day, like in Men in Black, you know, something's going to happen. That thing's going to take <laughs> off. <laughs> People still stop in the street. They have to. This has been there ever since I remember. That was at the end of the bubble almost. It was. It was yeah, in very the 80s. much a bubble. Right, that's for sure. They put that, they put everything into it too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the company that owned it at the time, I think they, they may have sold it by now. Um, that plot used to be Jack and Betty's. That's right, with the loudest music in all of Tokyo. So the family that and owned food, Jack yeah. and Betty built that building. Is that right? That's right. I remember passing Jack and I said, I didn't know you could play music that loud. Yeah, totally. And you went there, all the kids were going there to eat. That's right. That's right. The date spot. That's right, right, right. Right across yeah. the street from um, Marui. That, that's right. When Marui was there. That's right. Then they had, I think, off and on, they had Kentucky and McDonald's. Kentucky right next to McDonald's, you know, right there, everything, yeah. And next to that is Sabu. Sabu? Is it Sabu or Sabu? Department store's right next to it. Uh, yes, right, kind of right behind it. Yes. Yeah, right behind you, right, 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 exactly. right, whatever, right. Wow, those are some days. So, what, what was, when did you, what year did you first come here in 1980? Come to Japan, I mean. Three. 1983, okay. So, yeah, so that was, I was involved with that company on, what, 10 of the Disney stars, the first 10. 
In Japan. In Japan. So where are they located? Because I only know the two. I know the one in Homoku and I know the one in Shibuya. Oh, dear. Now, at the time... You were involved with the first ten. Yeah. So after those two, we did one in Takashimaya downtown in Nihonbashi. Mm -hmm. uh, we did one in America, Mura, in Osaka. There were a couple way out in the provinces. Where people can't wait to get to Kanazawa, yeah. yeah. Um, Shikoku. Right. Well, I've forgotten what the other ones were now. But no, tell me, wait. At that time, you it was your company? No, no. I was, I was a consultant to the construction company. Okay, okay. That was just you. So you didn't work for the construction company, or did you? I, well, I did, yes. I you worked did. for them as a consultant. As a consultant, okay. Oh, so how long did that last? I did that for, uh, I guess that's about three years I was okay. doing that. Um, it, uh, a great company. They had great clients. Um, and so after the Disney stores, um, we did a couple projects for Rover. Back okay. When Rover was still a that's right viable. Did you know apartment. the president? No, because I, I did. Yeah, he was a member here. Yeah, David. Yeah. And uh, we did some things for Rover. A couple. We did their showroom in Toyocho. It's a beautiful place. It was a beautiful place. Uh, we also I also helped with a uh, bringing a, an American company to Japan. An American company that manufactured. Um, natural looking things so they would manufacture rocks <laughs> trees etc that looked exactly like they should and feel right, exactly like they should um, that grew be they got big in the u.s because what are those things called they were putting these into um biodomes biospheres remember biospheres right, right, right. yes and so they Which is, right. um the company i was working for uh, wanted to get them going in Japan, so they actually helped them get the uh, the Japanese company up and going. Okay. Um, and we did it. It was mostly interior related things, but mm -hmm. you know, you go into a, a large shopping mall and you see very realistic palm trees and rocks. Right, right. It would have been made by that company. So how long did you do that? Then after that, then you went to where? I will bring you up to where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> after that, I had a brief stint in a similar. Uh, interior construction for a uh, Japanese firm that focused, that used um, British antiques in all of all of their uh, projects okay um, the very yeah very um, an interesting period um, until the the founder the owner decided that he wasn't going to run the business anymore and he just decided I'm gonna quit now and so he quit and we all moved on no one had a clue that he was gonna quit no I, he Kind of ran out of money, I think. So, so you mean everybody didn't get a salary, and that was just no. We all got salaries, but it suddenly okay. he just said one day, "Sorry, you're you're done. We're, we're we're closing the company." Was this a Japanese person? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I moved on. That was sort of the end of. Um, I had still been doing my own creative business projects and things, but that sort of around about that time, I decided to cross the T, dot the I. Put it behind me, and move into what I know that I do well, which is marketing and uh, promotion, uh, and strategy kinds of things. Is that where you are now? And that's where I am now. Okay. So how long have you been in this position where you are now? So I've been doing this. I spent some time. Um, I spent some time with one company, uh, basically putting together their marketing and promotion plans. 
and uh, then spent some more time with another subsidiary of a large Japanese conglomerate. And um, through a course of odd events, I was there for three months as a consultant. The, uh, uh, the president at the time um, passed away suddenly, unknowingly, and they were without leadership. Um, and so the, the chairman of this company, it's a very, very large Japanese conglomerate called Kosaido. Kosaido, okay. Who, um, who I got on well with. He said, Timothy, you do it. <laughs> Timothy, you do it. Um, he was a funny character. Um, and so I took over uh, that subsidiary. It was a training business. Okay. Which You're doing that now? No, no. I did okay. that for a couple of years until okay. uh, I was, um, I wanted to expand and open some other, and open other branches. And I went to him to talk about expansion. And he said, invest money? What? Timothy, close that business. <laughs> you had to close it. So I had to close the business, yes. Oh, goodness. Um, so I should probably just quickly describe, this is a, a very typical Showa area uh, industrial uh, president. He had a, the comp there were like 28 affiliated companies. And he hobnobbed with Nakasone, Tanaka Kakue, owned golf courses, very much a bubble. Kind of right, very right, much right, a right. buy assets kind of growth company, right. um, but very, very iconic person, um, larger than life, really. Right. Um, but he, he liked me, and so I ended up staying on in the company for another four and a half years. Mm. It was that was during that was when I went to do my MBA at Duke. Okay. So I assisted him on various projects uh, inside the company, various. Group companies and did my MBA. I was going to say, how do you how do you do that? How could you do both? So I did a special um, MBA that was uh, in five terms, and every term was three weeks together, and then ten weeks remote. So okay, so so you agreed with it. He agreed to that. He agreed to let me do that. Do that. Okay. He gave me the time off to do it. Wow. And so you had to fly back to the U.S. to do it. So I'd fly back to the U.S. Right. to do it. Come back. Um, it was a lot of work because I was working full time. But uh, um, so I was all armed with my MBA when I got back, and he was really excited. At least prior to my um, graduating, okay. So I got back and I said, "Okay, okay, chairman, okay, chairman." So I've got a couple of ideas, things we could do, and he's like, mm, "Yeah, you know, Timothy, the only one, the only person who can fix this company is me." Why don't you go work for a foreign company? <laughs> so I did. Okay. So that was the end of my uh, term with him. Term, but it was a very typical Japanese company, and it's an experience that I'm glad I had. Mm -hmm. um, and if anybody gets a chance to do it, they should do it for a while. Um, it's not easy for non-Japanese, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a really good experience. But don't you have to when you work for a company as close as you did? This is a Japanese company. Did you find that you almost have to act like you're Japanese, or else they won't really um, link up with you? They won't. They won't feel close if you don't take on at least the the attitude, the the posturing, everything that Japanese are taught to take on. You know, I found that I needed to remain myself. I needed to be myself, but do the things that. The Japanese employees were doing. 
So I could be me, but I had to attend sports day. Okay. And I had to participate. Right. Um, but I could participate as myself, and I could I could act and be myself. I didn't have to change my behavior anyway. Well, then your behavior was probably more Japanese anyway to start off with. You weren't well, the typical Westerner. No, you know what not. I'm talking about. Timothy, there's no way in the world you could stay in a Japanese company and be what we know from the West. Well, my Japanese was good. Okay. That helps. But your posturing, you'd have to have the foinky too. You know what I mean? Don't you think? I was I'm not sure. I, I, just, I made sure that I was friendly with everyone. Right, right. Um, which was very helpful. Mm. And uh, I also found that they they didn't expect me to act like a Japanese. Well, you'll never be Japanese, that's for sure. So they didn't expect me to act like a Japanese. Right. So I didn't. Okay. Um, but I did go to sports day. Um, I did attend the uh, very tight, long meetings. I did listen to speeches. Listen to the uh, hour and a half speeches by the chairman every month and sit there quietly. And keep yes, your eyes open. Keep my eyes open. No sleeping. <laughs> yes. Um, but people in the company were happy to be able to interact with the non-Japanese, but do it in Japanese. They didn't have to worry about language. And so right, that was right. that was actually really helpful. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, you get to know, you realize that Japanese companies, no, it's incredibly diverse in these companies, but you just can't see it until you actually you get know, in there. Get in there. Because from the outside, you think, yeah. you have all these preconceived ideas because, you know, Frank and I were talking about this. People will come here for three years and write a book. Yeah, can't do that. They've been here three years. They think they know Japan because of one thing. And then they write a book about it, and that becomes gospel around the world as to what the Japanese are like. And there's no way in the world. These people, I like to say this after being here almost 40, almost 50 years, really. They convinced, they did one of the best convincing jobs of almost anyone on this planet of getting people that look so diversely different, if you really look at them, from Wakanai to Kyushu, Okinawa, mm. to think they're one race of people. Yes. When they're mixed from they got them believing that. And they still do it, but it starts from Hoikwin, from elementary school. That's where they do it. Everyone gets the same education. Yep. They get the same education. Then it starts to change a little bit, but they still have the base. That's what makes them Japanese. Yeah, I, th that's ex I, th I completely agree. It's, that's um, the base. The society, post-war society, growth in society um, could only get to where we are now by first focusing on standardization. And they did it. And then add color. They first you standardize, then you right. add color. Right. And, uh, it's, it's similar to what I tell people about why Japan is not hard to do. Once you understand the rules, then you know how to get around them or work with them. But you've got to standardize and get in sync with the way things go. So once you learn how things go at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and That's how they right. think about things, then you can go and then make small little adjustments, if That's you will, right. and you That's work right. around things. Because right. Japan does provide for a very, very big gray area. Yes. <laughs> it's enormous. <laughs> and it's based upon how the person who's judging out the decision is feeling that day. Oh, yes, yes. Certainly. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Not as, not as bad as in, you know, countries like uh, where, you know. Where we come from. No, it yeah. can be anywhere almost, you anywhere. know. It can be very black and white there, but Japan has a big gray area. And I think it allows people to be who they are. They really are. But when it comes to public life, you better act a certain way.
Yes. If you don't, everyone will scream at you. Yes. So where do you find yourself today now, Timothy? So I, I, I did go to a foreign capital company. Uh, the founder was actually, we had met and were friends uh, previously. And I went and I joined him first on a small venture that he and a couple people had tried to get going. Uh, that was way before its time. It was coupons on a mobile phone, but it was, this was 2005 when reception was still not good. Um, and uh, so I joined his company uh, and I was there for about 11 and a half, almost 12 years. And uh, the, uh, the company's specialty is taking things into Japan or, and um, First, when I joined, it was they had a, a, a huge door-to-door -door sales force, um, and then after a while, we harnessed the sales force, so to speak, the power of direct sales, um, to do customer acquisition. So door-to-door -door customer acquisition, kind of like selling newspaper subscriptions. Um, and then I took the company into uh, I helped start retail and wholesale for the company as well. But it was mostly new things into Japan. Um, we had some domestic clients, uh, you know, for example, um, mineral water from Mount Fuji for the water servers in your home, uh, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, it was mostly home things. It was all B2C, which has always been my space. Um, and I was there for 12 years, or nearly 12 years. And I was always sort of looking at, I was the one who looked at the new products, figuring out how they would work in Japan, if they would work in Japan. Um, and how would they work? And uh, trying to then opening up whatever channels needed to be opened up. Um, we did quite a lot of uh, fun business with Costco at the time. Um, I had uh, LED light bulbs at a time when they we had them much cheaper than anyone else could sell them in the market. And so we, for three years at Costco, we we sold about a half a million light bulbs, mm. for example. Wow. And then. Right about, uh, it was uh, 2017 actually, um, I was recruited away to help a group of four American, actually two owners in the States, open a retail energy business here Yeah, when electricity was deregulated. So I did that, so I did that and got it started and their capital dried up. So I left them and I moved over to another American owned retail energy company. And that ended up being a kind of one-year interim stewardship sort of role, if you will. I spent several months fixing it, and then several months due diligence while the owner prepared to sell it. And so that sort of catapulted me into changing the name of my business, what it is now, Cinovate. Okay. And, Which uh, means Cinovate. It's, uh, it's, it's innovate, synthesis, uh, kind of an, an aggregation of, of terms. Right. Well, how'd you come that, up with that? So. Uh, I just came up with it. Synovate. Okay. Synovate, yes. <laughs> the idea behind it was, um, the idea behind it has always been, Japan looks difficult, but it's not if you know what to do, if you know how to do it. Um, and so Synovate's logo is actually a rose. Because roses are the same. Roses, everybody thinks roses are so difficult. It's like, actually, they're not if you know what to do. I, I read roses. Okay. 
that's why you have so many on your Facebook page. Yes. And there's each, every other one, there's rules, there's rules, there's rules. Said, okay, what's that? Okay, I want to know what that is. Yeah, I'm up to a dozen rules. Is that? Rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, rose plants, yes. Okay. Um, and so that's the idea of Synovate was there are ways to do things. And we can we can figure out how to do things in Japan. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where I am now. Okay, and that's your Japanese company. That's my company. Okay, there. yes, that's you. That's me. All right. So before I end the podcast, there's always a question I like to ask, Timothy. If knowing what you know now, yes. what you've been through, if you could go back in time and meet the younger Timothy, mm. how old would he be, and what advice would you give him? Good question. I've thought about it from time to time, and it actually. It would be to go back to my uh, junior year high school, Timothy, and say, quit horsing around, quit running around in the car, study a little bit more, you're smart, go to the best university you can. Because what I did is I decided to go to the one in my city, because I didn't want to go very far, all my friends were there. That's actually what I would say. Mm -hmm. So when I went to business school, I said, I'm going to go for the best one I can. And you so did. I ended well, I ended up at Duke. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not, not bad. That's not so bad. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate it. All of you watching this podcast, make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all unknown. So continue to reach for the stars. You're too blessed to be stressed.